hot-button concept or Eurotrash? This is Conducting Business. I'm Naomi Lewin. Last week, the German opera on the Rhine in Dusseldorf pulled the plug on a Nazi-themed production of Tannhäuser after a single performance prompted booing, mass walkouts, and even accounts of audience illness. Reportedly, there were scenes that showed Jews being murdered and dying in gas chambers. Certainly shocking, but hardly the first revisionist opera production. So was Dusseldorf right to cancel the production? When do radical updates make artistic sense, and when do they go too far? To discuss this, we're joined by three guests. From London is John Barry, Artistic Director of English National Opera. Here in the studio, James Jordan, opera critic for the New York Post and editor of the blog Parterrebox. And on the phone is Anne Majette, classical music critic of the Washington Post. James, now you came down on the Dusseldorf management for being cowardly and caving into the howling of the mob in canceling at least the stage production of the Nazi Tannhäuser. Why? Well, the job of opera management is to present opera and to present the vision of the people who create opera, that is, the conductor, the director, and the singers. So they're the support system for all of these artists. It's a terrible, terrible thing and a cowardly thing to send the message to these artists that we're not going to support you, that if you make a mistake or if someone complains about your work, we're out of here. We're just going to drop you like a hot potato. And what is your response to this? I agree in principle with James, but I think that there's another mechanism here, which is that in the process of pulling the work together, there needs to be discussion about how it's going. I can understand that there's a particular hot-button nature of this kind of presentation of the Nazi years in Germany. It could have been perhaps anticipated or discussed or talked through, but if you discover that people are really freaking out about something, I can understand at least considering canceling it. I just think it should have been discussed at an earlier stage before you actually get the thing on stage. Well, obviously, yes. I mean, it's Theaters have technical rehearsals. Theaters have rehearsals. And so there would obviously have to be some sort of rehearsal where they're putting the gas chamber in position and getting the extras ready to be gassed in the gas chamber. And it sounds very frivolous to say this, but the point is that people would know that these things were happening in the opera house, that the opera management don't see the opera on the opening night. They've been seeing it for months ahead of time. Well, in a way, that's kind of dulled their response, possibly. But I have more sympathy with the Deutsche Oper am Rhein pulling the plug than I do with um, after opening night at the Metropolitan Opera, say, if the audience is up in arms, then we have to tinker or tone down or whatever, which has also happened at the Met for far less incendiary things. I'd like to hear now from somebody who is actually in opera management, John Barry. <laughs> Hello, everyone. I haven't seen the production, so I can't really comment on the production. And, and usually in an opera house, you receive a model and a concept and an outline of the ideas a year, two years, sometimes even longer. So the Dusseldorf management would have had a very good idea of the overall vision for the piece. Now, this is a, an extremely well-established opera house with a very talented intendant. And, of course, it does, on, on the face of it, feel shocking that the whole production has been pulled after one performance due to the audience response. I, I haven't heard of that anywhere, but I haven't seen the piece. 
Um, it sounds as if this may be quite particular to a German audience and a German environment. And, you know, who knows what the reasons are? It's really hard to comment without being there and actually seeing the piece. I would throw in my two cents from having lived in Munich for 12 years. I remember a touring show about crimes of the Wehrmacht, which is the German army as opposed to the SS, and it was photographic documentation of atrocities during World War II. And in Germany, it had been an article of faith that the Wehrmacht had been more innocent and the SS were the bad guys. So this short show toured around Germany, and then it came to Munich's town hall. And because it was shown in a public space in Munich, it became a focal point of an outcry I've never seen such an outcry in a public place with strangers congregating on the street, arguing with each other about the war, and that there are these incredibly strong emotions, particularly in Germany, about this topic that can't always quite be foreseen. Again, I sound like a real apologist for the Opera House, and I am not that sympathetic to the idea of pulling the plug on something, but I have seen the results, and I have never seen anything like that in an American American, about an American museum show either. In my experience, um, nearly, I mean, I would say every director I've worked with doesn't produce their work um, to be confrontational or controversial. Most directors who are working at a very high level in the business are absolutely honest, telling the story and doing serious work. So I, I can't imagine the director has come from this um, with a, a view to actually upset the audience. But again, it's hard to know. And I think the truth is, the general approach to updating opera, you can do it in many ways. We see, we've seen this over the decades, that many different directors have taken radically di- different approaches. To, Excuse to me, I, for interrupting, can I just ask, I wanted to ask you, Tannhäuser basically revolves around troubadours in the Middle Ages, yeah. so an audience comes to it with certain expectations. Does the Opera House have an obligation to prepare an audience for what is going to be a really challenging production? Well, I, I mean, I think that's interesting. If, if you take um, one of the pieces we did recently, David McVicker production of Medea by Charpentier, basically an ancient story set in a historical context updating. He actually set it in the Second World War. Now, his approach to that updating was that his, the historical context of the Second World War and the way he could define those characters for an audience in the 21st century was going to allow the audience to connect in a clearer, more direct way than if he'd actually produced it and set it in the more ancient setting. So I think, you know, directors come at this in very different ways. One more example, um, La Traviata, which Ian O did with Peter Convicini, a bare modern setting, basically a chair on the stage. His view of the piece was that he was interested in the experiences rather than the detail. So although the world of the Traviata he created here was modern and non-specific, what he focused on with the individual experiences and the fate of Violetta, even though the setting and the set, as it were, was almost non-existent. Actually, the sort of explanation that John is giving here, I mean, Anne and I both are very familiar with because this is part of our job as journalists, is to do this sort of what you might call a puff preliminary piece where the opera house can make something new and something unusual 
a little more apparent to people before they actually get to the opera house. They can read about it in the newspaper. They can see something online. Um, uh, the the O is very exemplary in having uh, video trailers of their operas and things like that so that people don't have to be completely shocked when they yeah. sit down in their yeah. seats. They can have some, some sense of what they're going to be seeing ahead of time. Well, you're dealing with an art form that many, many people approach with a sense that it's sort of safe and safely distant. And although John did say that, con- that directors don't go in wanting to upset the audience, there's certainly a production that puts people being gassed on stage is going in there wanting to grab the audience by the collar. Well, it's confrontational. Them up a little bit. Mm-hmm. And, um, and the point is to create an immediacy and a sense of immediate theater out of an art form that people have trouble taking as immediate. And I've seen very mild updatings where people were all abuzz because it wasn't what it said in the plot synopsis. Mm-hmm. And people who would have probably no trouble in spoken theater making the leap mm-hmm. sometimes have more trouble connecting the dots in opera and do want the hand-holding of mm. the preliminary explanation, and this is how it's going to be, and mm. don't worry, this is what you're going to see. Mm. And, you know, part of me is against the sort of coddling. I think people should be able to, the fact is that they're not always, but I wish that they were more able to process what they're seeing on stage. Um, and this is what leads to the mm. kind of standoff between so-called regie theater and the audience, and the whole idea that it's a bad thing and let a little explanation make it be less a bad thing. Um, it's an unfortunate state of affairs because theater should be that immediate. I mean, when Aeschylus premiered the Eumenides in ancient Greece, women miscarried because of the terror of what was happening on stage. Um, I don't think there were lawsuits back then about it. Though. But I've read reviews from both of you, and in the end, whether or not it's a modern updating or not, is it well sung? Is the director telling the story? Does it have a real dramatic and musical power? Absolutely. I don't think any of us would disagree with the idea of updating or changing the scenario, or not the scenario, but the time and place of an opera for when it works, going way back to the English National Opera's Little Italy Rigoletto, which I saw in the 1980s, which was terrific. And I've also seen Rigoletto set in Fascist Italy, another production also terrific. However, Tannhäuser is basically about the conflict between spiritual love and love of the flesh. And this Tannhäuser reportedly showed the title character dressed as a concentration camp guard shooting Jewish prisoners. The question I guess I have is, how does this serve Tannhäuser and tell the story? Well, as John said, it's really hard to comment on that without having seen the production, but... I very much doubt the director did it gratuitously. I think that he had a point, a narrative point, and a storytelling point. It may not have immediately been apparent to the audience. Of course, those Wagner operas carry a heavy load, especially in Germany, of paint from the association, perceived association with the Nazi party, and that may play into it. Not having seen it, I can't say that, but it's a very fun party game among opera lovers to pull out the most ridiculous-sounding scenarios. Aida as a cleaning woman, that's going that, yes. far. And, and uh, we all can name examples and make them sound silly, but sometimes on stage they come across as incredibly powerful, and the proof of the pudding is only in the eating in that sense. There's a big difference between failing to do something you set out to do, which is perhaps what this director did, what Kominsky did in uh, at the Deutsche Opera. He failed to create the the world that he was trying to create. But there's a big difference between that and setting out to create something yeah. 
that you didn't want. In other words, he didn't set out to shock people and to disgust people and to send people running out of the theater. That's what he accomplished, apparently, but that wasn't what he set out to do. So we need to, to show a difference between those two, that he, perhaps he failed at what he tried to do. I can give an example of a failed updating that I saw in Frankfurt once, and it was a Simone Bocanegra that was set in the mafia world of the 50s, a la the Jonathan Miller Rigoletto E&O mm. production you mentioned before, mm. Naomi. And um, it didn't work because the characterizations that were created didn't work with the music, and there had to be a few great leaps of suspension of disbelief to make it all sort of hang together. Well, that, that's um, just that. You, in other words, it was Simone Bocanegra. <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> but it was, Ooh. <laughs> it was a scene that didn't even work. <laughs> I, I mean, I think it's interesting that there's been so much news about this because, you know, in, if you look at the other art forms, you look at the um, visual arts and also cinema, you know, one experiences really quite extreme work in these other art forms, in contemporary dance too. And um, I think opera, uh, certainly for the time I've been working in opera, you know, it feels as if it's an art form where, you know, there are huge emotions and reactions to what people hear and um, see on stage. And and I think, you know, we're not reinventing the wheel here. There have been many quite severe contemporary productions of Wagner in Germany and Europe yeah. that, over that, the years. And I think in the end, this is about, you know, what expo- why are we all doing it? And what, what is the point? And what is the point of update dating? And, and if, if we, those of us who are working in the business, and I don't expect it's, it's different from, from colleagues who are writing about it or audiences. It's about, you know, does it enrich us? Does it make us more human? It, does it tell us something about ourselves and the society we're living in? And, and you touched on something very interesting when you mentioned that this was a Wagner opera. And this brings up the question, does injecting Nazi themes into a Wagner opera, given Wagner's own anti-Semitism and Germany's past with Wagner, does it make a difference, do you think, that it was a Wagner opera? Or would it have made a difference if they'd used Nazi themes in an opera by another composer? Well, it ha- we have to contextualize, too, because there was a period in Germany where if you didn't have Nazi uniforms on stage, it was unusual in a Wagner opera and many other operas. I mean, it's, you, you wouldn't know what they were doing if there were no swastikas. Exactly, exactly. What's wrong? I mean, especially Meistersinger, that section about all that is German and good, a lot of times the, the swastikas would appear there. I think the difference, having read a little bit about this production, is that you're actually seeing people being gassed and shot, which is not just putting a swastika on the stage. And the knee-jerk association with Wagner and Nazism continues almost every time a ring is done, certainly in in America. But um, I saw when I was 18, I was backpacking through Europe, and I got a ticket, standing room only, to the Nice opera production of Vespri Siciliani. And it was a fascist production. And the audience went berserk. And the police actually had to come in and carry, screaming people out of the top ring of the opera. And at 18, when I was just falling in love with the art form, I thought, oh, my God, this is terrific. People care. People are involved. It, was, it spoke to me in this way. And, again, the point is not to provoke, but when art does provoke, it is not a bad thing and not a thing to be scared of. We have to free ourselves from the idea that art exists only to please and divert us. It also exists to confront and challenge us. I think that's a good point. You know, I, th- I think that art is surely not just about entertainment. It's about a lot of things. Now, clearly, this audience on the first night, it sounds as if an element 
of the audience were far from happy. But I've, I've been in audiences where half a dozen people have booed, and it sounds as if a whole um, football team were in booing. Right. If, uh, if, if, if every time an uh, audience boos, yeah. you're going to take a production off, or every time, even every time people walk out of a production, I've yeah. seen a number of productions where people do get up and walk out. Yeah. Sometimes you wonder if maybe it's just because the intermission doesn't come soon enough. I remember Calixto Beato's Don Giovanni in London the first night. Extreme, brilliant, superb production. Huge amount of noise, huge amount of, 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 of booing. You know, as a production, it clearly instilled... Um, great anger in some people, and there was lots of cheering from other people. You know, at least it, it you know, it certainly proves the audience is awake. And I think there's nothing wrong with an audience actually expressing how they feel at the end of Given the performance. Given all our experiences of various violent reactions on opening night, I would imagine that what happened to Dusseldorf must have been truly extreme yeah. <laughs> to have warranted pulling the production. Since uh, yeah. I, I, I would say though, this is maybe a little tangential that. One experience I had, which was with the well, Robert Wilson production of Lohengrin at the Met, which was oh, not yeah. a particularly controversial production, but it was got a very, very violent reaction from the audience on opening night. The curious thing is the same production came back a year later and got a standing ovation. And the thing is, it selected its audience. The people who really didn't want to see this production stayed home. The right. people who really did want to see it came in. So I think, in a sense, this problem is self-correcting that if there are people who don't want to see a production, then they just don't go to see it. I would say it goes yeah. farther than that. Even partic- I, I bring up that Robert Wilson Lohengrin James a lot as an example because I think the singers also grew into it, that it became more effective as it went on because they weren't fighting it quite so hard. Right. I mean, it, it, it was, certainly was a better production the second time around. But the thing was the people who were most violently opposed to it said, I've had it. I don't want to see this again. So there was no real need to try to please them after that. They they were gone. Speaking of audiences, I'd like to ask you, John, yeah. a lot of the ENO productions have traveled to the Met, to the yeah. States. Do you find audiences on our side of the pond less accepting or more accepting when it comes to really strong directorial concepts? I think, you know, audiences, of course, change around the world, but on the whole, they're pretty much the same. I, I think that sitting there on the first night of Satyagraha at the Met with that wonderful reaction, there was a very similar act- reaction we had here in London for Satyagraha. Now, our production at the weekend of Rodsek by the young Carrie Cracknell, set in 2013, contemporary Britain. Vodsek with a post-war syndrome, probably coming back from Afghanistan. In London, there's highly, there are a lot of people from the theatre. They're very, very warm reaction. I wonder if this Vodsek at the Met would have got the same reaction. I doubt it. I would have thought for America, this production um, would have been quite tough to take. And maybe the audience would have, have, have told us that. You know, I think you, you have to recognize, and I think we all do, that in terms of um, theater aesthetic, Europe, of course, is, is far more extreme than the aesthetic um, in North America. I think one of the issues in the United States is that audiences here, in my experience, are more likely to want the director to serve the original story and get that across, where 
in Europe, I think the awareness of the director as an artist in his own right and that this is a living art form is more pronounced, more developed, simply because there's more of it. There's more opera happening and more people as a result are trying to come But But I think one hopes all directors try to serve the story. It's just that they have different... Of course. But, you know, they have different, they have different ways of doing it and well, of there's, course there's, when you as one singer put it yeah. to me in America when he sings Don Giovanni at intermission people are like God I can't wait to see what happens and <laughs> <laughs> you're more likely to hear I wonder what the director will do with it yeah that's okay. exactly true 25 words or less what is the best example and the worst of this Regie Theater the director taking over the opera that you've ever seen John Oh, goodness, you've really put me on the spot here. Okay, well, look, then. look I work with too many directors to criticize them. But um, for me, um, the story has to make sense. It has to have real dramatic power. And even the most... I always think that the director, of course, must be there to serve the composer, but they must also be there to push the work, the composition, the story at times to this extreme. That's what they're there for. Okay, and? Well, I mentioned as a worst that Bocanegra in Frankfurt, at which when Fiesco appears during the crowd scene, he was cleverly concealed by having a wolf's head put on him, which in a realistic (laughs) mafia production, I I wrote in my review that perhaps he was uh, disguised as a fugitive cast member from Cunning Little Vixen in an effort to distance himself from what was happening on stage. Um, the best, I will take a controversial point of view, because not everybody liked this, and it's hard to pick a best, but here's a, an example I am fond of, is Deborah Warner's Don Giovanni, which I only saw on video, where she had Don Giovanni and Leporello as lovers, a gay couple, and I thought that, again, there's, a, there's an example of a storyline that when you say it, it sounds just like, what did but in fact, it was really quite wonderful. James? I can mention two consecutive nights in Stuttgart a couple of years ago. Uh, One was a a Carmen, and the director's name I forget, probably just as well. Um, There was an additional character who was a mime who was dressed sort of like the Noid from the Pizza Hut commercials, and he just was in the way the whole time. Uh, Carmen also died six or seven times during that opera, and she wasn't dead at the end, so... That's an example of the worst. Of the best, uh, <laughs> of the best, uh, the following night was uh, Calixto Bito's Parsifal. And I have to say, not only did this make me question completely my ideas of what the opera was about, it still to this day has me wondering what the purpose of religion and human existence is. And I don't think you could ask for a more profound meaning than that in an operatic performance. And that's what we all want opera to do, isn't it? Thank you very much. Thank you all for joining us. Thank you for having us. Thank, Thank you very much. much. This has been Conducting Business, WQXR's show about the classical music industry. Our guests have been John Barry from the English National Opera and Majette of the Washington Post and James Jordan, editor of Parterre Box. Brian Wise is our producer and Bill O'Neill was our engineer. I'm Naomi Lewin. Thanks for listening. <laughs>